Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you this week. Our passage is Psalm 88. I want to encourage you to turn there and to stand as we read what some regard as the darkest of the Psalms. It's Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark, And deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a whore to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you, O Lord. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long and close me on, in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Wow. And that's how it ends. This is a psalm of the Lord. This is his word, authoritative and instructive for us today. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words, help us to understand the cry of the heart. Help us to even apply them to our own times of despair. And Lord, help us to know the solution, what what it is that you offer through Christ, through your word, through the hope of our salvation that allows us to climb up out of these deep holes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, perhaps over the last few months you have found yourself described in the Psalms that we've been studying. We've encountered anger and fear, shame, regret. Well, to one degree all or another, all of us have experienced these. And as we get to this Psalm, though, today may be a little bit more foreign. And as we read, we heard the soul-numbing despair of the psalmist. Verse 1, I cry out day and night. Verse 2, my soul is full of troubles and I have no strength. Verse 7, you overwhelm me and, and make me a horror to my companions and I cannot escape. Verse 18, my beloved and my friend shun me and my only companion is darkness. 
That's what some of your translations say in that last line. It makes it even more poignant. Darkness, some of you have, is my only companion. So crying, despair, sleeplessness, a feeling of being overwhelmed, a sense of abandonment. These are common characteristics of depression, despair, a topic that we're going to talk a little bit about through in this psalm today, as well as some other passages. But first, listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon, a man who after a tragic fire in a crowded church in which he was preaching caught fire, claimed the lives of seven people He experienced depression the rest of his life. And years later, while preaching on Isaiah 41, he said these words, periodical tornadoes and hurricanes will sweep over the Christian. He'll be subjected to as many trials in his spirit as trials in his flesh. This much I know, if it not be so with all of you, it is so with me. I have to speak today to myself. And whilst I shall be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching. I trust to myself, for I need something which will cheer my heart. My soul is cast down within me, and I feel as if I had rather die than live, and I need your prayers. I need God's Holy Spirit, and I I felt that I could not preach today unless I should preach in such a way as to encourage you and to encourage myself in the good work and labor of Jesus Christ. And you can hear some of those same dramatic statements in Spurgeon, as we saw in Psalm 88, the feeling that he was swept up in a hurricane or in a tornado, the desire to die rather than to live. In fact, the lack of desire to do anything. Are these normal thoughts? What do we do when we experience them? Well, people who use the term depression often use it as this catch-all term for these emotions, but it's important to recognize that there's a large range of what people mean when they say depression. Some people say they're depressed when they're feeling down or, or sad, while on the other extreme, people use the term to describe an overwhelming grief or heaviness upon the soul that leaves them feeling empty, exhausted, yet sleepless, and, and even without emotion altogether. So when it comes to depression, there's not a one-size-fits-all. Some depressions are bothersome, others are life-disrupting and disabling. It's not my intent today to try to define depression from a clinical basis, but rather to look at some of the experiences of those who have dealt with despair and connect with what some believers experience today and to, to see what the Bible offers as solutions. You won't find depression, per se, as a word in the Bible. But if you look for those who experience the types of emotions that we see and the struggles that we see in Psalm 88 that we all heard described by Charles Spurgeon, you'll quickly find people like Elijah, Saul, Jeremiah, Job, David, Jonah, and more. And if you ask what led those individuals to those moments of despair, you would find different types of causes. For example, for some, like Elijah, who told the Lord to take his life because he wanted to die, depression came as a result of constant persecution and frustration and fear. For others, like Jeremiah and Jonah, it was was great disillusionment. 
Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was distraught over the judgment of God against his people and their refusal to listen. And so in Jeremiah 2014, we hear him say, Cursed be the day that I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Jonah, who tried to run from God, ultimately asks the sailors to throw him overboard into the sea to his death because he angrily would not accept God's willingness to be merciful to the Assyrians. We might loosely place those types of causes in in a category of other people causes. And some of you may be struggling with depression because of other people. Maybe it's a parent-child or a husband-wife relationship that is dysfunctional and bad. Perhaps friends have betrayed you or you face constant trials at the hand of an employer or strangers. You may identify with Elijah or a Jeremiah or a Jonah. There are some in Scripture who face depression as a result of tragedy. We saw how Spurgeon for example, never quite recovered from the tragic deaths of those who could not get out of an overcrowded building. Job experienced the deaths of his children, the loss of his property, the breakdown of his health. And as a result, he got to the point where we read in Job 3.26, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Or in, in chapter 10, he says, I loathe my very life. Or in chapter 30, he says, terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud, and now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. You remember that section from Job? Maybe you just read over that and you're used to the conversations with the friends. But that's a very dramatic section. Maybe some of you felt that way. Jesus faced the tragic consequences of other people's sin and willingly gave up his life as a substitute. And he experienced symptoms that we would describe as being despairing or depressive. In Mark 14, 34, we read him saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In his anguish, he sweat drops of blood. We are told in Isaiah 53 that he was acquainted with grief and a man of sorrows. A few weeks ago, we saw how Jesus knows what it was like to have experienced shame. And it's encouraging, I think, to realize that he also knows what it's like to be despairing. To be a man of sorrows, to be acquainted with grief. Still others in Scripture experience depression, not maybe as a result of others per se, but as a result of themselves. King Saul dealt with deep depressions as a result of demonic oppression and sin and jealousy and anger. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they became separated from the presence of God and felt afraid, ashamed and guilty. And their life outside of Eden, banished from God's presence, was difficult. Frustrating, sorrowful. Clearly the causes that we have discussed so far, whether of other people or tragedy or sin, are a result of the fall.
And so are these resultant fears and angers and jealousies that we experience. As one author writes, our rage causes divorce and subsequent aloneness. Our stealing causes imprisonment. Our addictions destroy our relationships and our bodies. Don't be surprised if you find things within yourself, fears, anger, selfish desires lurking behind some depressions. Another way that our own bodies can cause depression is through chemical or hormonal imbalances, changes of life, decline due to age, injury, illness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote one of the best books on depression titled Spiritual Depression, doesn't just think that all causes of depression are due to spiritual matters. He writes, does someone hold the view that as long as you are a Christian, it doesn't matter what condition of your body is in, well, you will soon be disillusioned if you believe that. Physical conditions play their part in all of this. There are certain physical ailments that tend, he writes, to promote depression. And into this group, you can put tiredness, overstrain, illness. You cannot isolate the spiritual from the physical, for we are body, mind, and spirit. The greatest and best Christians, when they are physically weak, are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than at any other time. And there are great illustrations of this in the scriptures, he says. So other people, our own sin, tragedies, our physical bodies and health, these may be direct causes or indirect influences. Sometimes we simply don't know why we feel depressed. And how we got to the point where we can barely make it through the day. But perhaps while helpful to know, it isn't essential that we know. Because instead of teaching us how to identify the causes of depression, the Bible directs us to the God who knows all things and is trustworthy. And they challenge us, especially when we find ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and physically dry, to ask these two questions. Whom will I trust? And whom will I worship? Interestingly, each of the people that we looked at earlier in the Bible faced those same questions. Whom will I trust? Whom will I worship? Elijah, after he prayed that the Lord would take his life and leave him alone, encounters God. And we read about it in 1 Kings chapter 19, and, and we read that the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back. Go back. 
the way you came. Anoint Hazael over Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel and Mahola to succeed you as prophet. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And Elijah asked God, essentially, why me? Leave me alone. I've done everything that you asked me. Just take my life. And God answered him by saying, serve me. Serve me. Built into God's answer is the challenge to trust and worship. However, it's important to note that after showing his mighty power that God is tender towards Elijah. You like that? He comes in a gentle whisper. God wants him to know that his fears are unfounded. God has a plan. He's reserved 7,000. Job's experience has brought him to a breaking point. His own wife tells him, curse God and die. Not great, not great advice from your spouse when you're in a despair. But whom would Job trust and worship? When he lost all his children, Job worshiped God. And said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And I spoke earlier of the encouragement that Jesus, that Jesus has experienced our sorrows. Remember that. But also realize that, that Jesus was the beloved Son of God. His Father allowed him to experience those sorrows just as he let Elijah face persecution. He let Jonah deal with his anger and disillusionment. And David worked through the betrayal of sons and kings. Paul tells us in Romans 8.32 that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So the same God who appeared to Elijah in the gentle whisper cares about you. He allows you to suffer through some of the things that you do. We don't always know why. And sometimes we get to the point where we say, I have served you zealously. I just want to quit. And God says, go back. Keep walking. Keep going. I care about you. I know you. And the proof of all of that, friends, is the cross, right? The proof that God cares about you is the cross. God gave up his son for you. Will he not also, as Paul says, along with him, give you all things? So Psalm 88, yes, it is, it is a dark psalm, but I think it's a consolation. It's a consolation that other people have faced and felt what you have felt. Other believers have had time where darkness was their only companion. Other people have been inconsolable and despairing and depressed. But are you willing to ask the questions, whom will I trust and whom will I worship? Will you cling to the evidence of the cross and God's provision for you? Only then will you be able to see some of the other passages of Scripture, like Psalm 81, verse 10, I am the Lord your God, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Or Isaiah 55, 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you have no money, come buy and eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on, on what is not bread in your labor, on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Listen to those words. My faithful love promised to David. And you are heirs of that promise. And I understand that all of this is not easy when your despair is like that of the psalmist in Psalm 88. The Puritan William Cowper was a great man of faith, but he suffered bouts of depression. And we don't know fully what caused these depressions, but John, New- others, John Newton and others wrote of him and said, with Cowper, it was possible to be a child of God without being conscious of the blessing. To have title to a crown and yet to be immured kind of stuck in the depths of a dungeon. When you feel like Cowper, that you are locked in the depths of a dark dungeon, you must fight to believe. You must cry out like the Father in Mark 9, verse 24, who asked Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son and, and said, I do believe Jesus Help me overcome my unbelief. And if you find yourself struggling, pray that prayer. Help my unbelief. Read the other great prayers of Scripture like Ephesians 1, 17 through 23 and and chapter 3 of Ephesians 14 through 19. Read the Psalms. Maybe you can agree with these things. Maybe... You say intellectually these are true, but as you think through your past experiences, you remember how easy it was to feel that God had abandoned you. In verses 13 through 14 of our psalm today, he writes, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? You may remember from our psalm a few weeks ago, Psalm 69, that we read, I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Even Jesus called out to the Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? And depression can feel like that, can feel like being forsaken. And in the very moment that we should be asking, whom will I trust and whom will I worship, we also are fighting against the temptation to say, I should trust God, I should worship God, but He's not there and He doesn't care. And that type of thinking turns us back into ourselves. And here's where author Ed Welch has good advice. He writes, the Psalms have been given as gifts to the children of God. The self cannot carry the load. The way we were intended to function was to be able to look outward toward God and to other people. And as you say the Psalms, remember that Jesus said them first. 
you will gradually find your focus changing. Perhaps you will notice it in the way you greet someone before she greets you. Perhaps you will start writing some of your own prayers. And step by step, you will emerge from your isolated darkness. As you make the words your own, try working with larger portions of individual psalms. This will allow you to recite words about your own experience and about God. For example, Psalm 22 does begin with an honest expression of the heart. Why have you forsaken me? But it's a statement of faith because you're saying to it to God, you know enough about his character that it makes no sense to stop there and to feel so forsaken. But when you speak the larger psalm, larger psalm, he says, of Psalm 22, it will guide you to a new place. For in verse 24 of that psalm, we read, he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Those are good words. Thankfully, our feelings or lack of feelings don't define our faith. Faith is simply turning to the Lord and recognizing that we have nowhere else to go. And when you speak and pray and agree with God's word, that's that's doing faith. It's living out faith. Ultimately, you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit who works in your heart and takes his word to make a difference there. God always provides grace sufficient for the day. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4a, we are hard-pressed on every side. Some of you know this passage by heart. Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in the body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. We should not be surprised to be hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. It is the cost of following Jesus, but he gives us the strength to not be crushed, to not fall into despair or to be destroyed, for we are not abandoned. You may feel forsaken, but you're not. You may feel forsaken, but you are not. And you must tell yourself that again and again. Remember, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Job just wasn't just facing tragic circumstances. Satan had asked permission to test Job. Not only do we live in a world that suffers under sin and the curse, but there is an enemy against us that is trying to bring us down, and he wants us to be incapacitated. He wants us to be unable to serve God's kingdom. And so Paul's advice to Christians in Ephesians 6.14 is stand firm. Stand. Sometimes that's all that we can do. When the real battle is not between flesh and blood, we can fashion all the earthly tools we desire to accomplish the task. We can change our daily routines. We can participate in some uplifting, encouraging activities. We can take medications. But sometimes our best weapons are righteousness, peace, 
faith, salvation, God's word, prayer, and so on. But maybe you're still not convinced. Perhaps you read a a psalm like Psalm 23 where David describes himself lying down in green pastures between still, beside still waters, being led by a loving shepherd, and you hear someone say, oh, that's my favorite psalm. I love that. I feel like that. And you go, that's not me. I feel instead like I'm lying on a bed of nails. And I have no comfort and no purpose and no shepherd. Perhaps you feel more like Jeremiah in Lamentations 3. It's almost an opposite to Psalm 23. Rather than say, your rod and staff comfort me, Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Rather than see that he guides me through the valley, Jeremiah writes, he has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Rather than say that God restores his soul, Jeremiah complains, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me. He has enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Although I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Does that sound like Psalm 23? No. It sounds like anti-Psalm 23. But look at his conclusion in verses 21 through 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. If you don't remember what I just told you about what he's been saying earlier in that chapter, this does not make as much sense. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every time you sing that familiar hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, let it be in your mind the context that this is sung by a man, said by a man, Jeremiah, who felt the very opposite of Psalm 23. He felt forsaken, broken down in darkness, lying on a bed of nails, and he is saying, yet the steadfast love of the Lord never fails. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You can do it too. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen to Jeremiah. In such a difficult situation. And getting through those dark nights of the soul is rarely easy. It can be a life rattling heart revealing journey that takes you through anger and frustration and sorrow, despair, but ultimately to a new trust, to a profound hope, to a love that cannot be easily pressed down. So fight for trust and worship and hope 
by understanding these important things. Here are a few kind of personal applications for you. And for you to understand about others who may be in despair. One is that depression is a misfortune. It's a type of suffering. It is not a flaw of character. It is not a sinful fault. This can be encouraging because like all terribly difficult types of suffering, we can trust that God's grace is available to us and that His mercy will comfort us. Grace may not cure your depression, but it will help relieve it. His mercies are large enough. They are deep enough. They are wide enough. They are high enough to hold secure what you can't. Your hope is not in your health, but God's ability to be the strength you need. Remember that. The Spurgeon once said, when things look dark and your heart is heavy, when life is foggy, and providence is cloudy and stormy, and you're caught in that hurricane. When your soul is exceedingly sorrowful and you are bruised as a cluster trodden in the wine press, yet cling close to God and never let go of your reverent fear of Him. However, an exceptional and unusual may be your trial, yet with Job whisper these words, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Second, application, God does hear your prayer, and your security rests in the promise of God. As David writes in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me, and He heard my cry. He lifted me up. You saw in Psalm 88, feeling like He was there at the, at the edge of death, of shale, He says, but You lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. You set my feet on a rock. You gave me a firm place to stand. You put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. And many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. And it's critical that when we feel that darkness is our only companion, that we stand and affirm the wise, strong hand of God to hold us, even when we have no strength to hold Him. Never forget that your security rests in Christ's faithfulness and God's promise first and foremost. Your feelings come and go. They are deceptive. Faith rises and falls in conviction. But your security does not rise and fall because it's not based on you. It's based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Three, when you lack desire and joy seems impossible... You are not a hypocrite to still pray and thank the Lord. You hear that? Even when you lack desire and joy seems far off, you are not a hypocrite to still pray and thank the Lord. The purpose in thanking God is to hope that He will be merciful and fill your heart with true gratitude. God is still worthy of praise whether you feel it or not. And I like Richard Baxter's words on this. He says, resolve to spend most of your time in thanksgiving and praising God. If you cannot do it with the joy that you should, yet do it as you can. You have not the power of your comforts, but you do have the power of your tongue. Say not that you are unfit for thanks and praises unless you have a praising heart. For every man, good and bad, is bound to praise God. 
to be thankful for all that he has received and to do it as well as he can, rather than leave it undone. And doing it as you can is the way to be able to do it better. Thanksgiving stirs up the thankfulness of the heart. And as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6.10, we press on. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Last, your faith can be strengthened by remembering God's faithfulness, not just to you, but to all of his saints. Remember Elijah in the cave? God preserved him and brought him home to glory. Remember Job? God restored his health and gave him a new family and home. Remember Jesus? God raised him from the dead, gave into his hand all dominion, authority, and power. What has God done in your life in the past? Are you willing on the evidence of his faithfulness, not just to you, but to the other saints, to keep fighting for hope? Hope frees you to live for God's purposes, even if those purposes lead through dark valleys. Hope frees you to serve a greater good than your own happiness or your own comfort. It frees you to love and anticipate a glorious future even if you are awaiting your execution. And after all, think about these words from Paul at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and my time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Right? Paul faced sorrow, faced frustration, was about to be poured out as a drink offering, but he knew he had fought well. Had finished the race, now awaiting a crown of righteousness. Hope made him a victor. Because he longed for nothing more than Christ's appearing. When all else fails, friends, keep hoping for that. Keep longing for Christ's appearing. As John writes at the end of Revelation, Amen, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In the meantime, you may be poured out as a drink offering. Maybe in your relationship with others, in your struggles against your own sin, in your fight against the enemy, your fight against your body, whatever it may be, keep loving God. Keep loving others. Keep fighting for hope. Keep fighting for joy. Keep thanking the Lord. The way forward is the way up. Further up, further in. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the gracious God who appeared in a gentle whisper to Elijah. The God who cares about us, as Jesus said, as one who cares about the lilies of the field and the sparrows in the air. You care about our needs even as you allow us at times to go through these dark valleys. You understand what it was like to be a man of sorrows. Father, you 
love to hear our needs as a father listening to a child and you've provided for them. Every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. You have said that you prepare a place for us. You will welcome us home. You've given us an inheritance. Co-heirs with Jesus. And Lord, it may not always seem so obvious in the midst of our difficulties and Sometimes we don't even know why we face the despairs we do. But Lord, help us all to fight for faith, to fight for joy, to fight for hope. Help us to keep thanking even when our hearts don't feel like it. Help us to remember your faithfulness, that our security is with you. Lord, help us to ask, whom will we worship? Whom will we trust? And Lord, may... We, in our faith, be an encouragement and consolation for others. Even as you are merciful to us, allow that to be a ministry of mercy and comfort to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.